This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast number 72. Uh, with me uh, in Toronto, Canada, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hi. Uh, in New York City, Long Island, uh, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, John. How you doing? Uh, I'm good, man. Uh, Varun Mather in New Delhi. Hello. And uh, next door here <clears throat> in the north of Sweden, Johan Edebo. Johan. Yeah, good evening. Hi. Um, okay, there's, we were just discussing how much there is to cover in this podcast. Um, a lot of topics to, to look into. Um, I think maybe uh, uh, we'll start with uh, uh, the the fallout or lack of fallout from the pharmaceutical executives uh, talking about revealing, confessing that in fact the vaccine was never tested. Um, they you know they cut corners to you know get it to market, et cetera, et cetera. All the different things that that they have said. This running alongside seeming the daily revelations, it seems like, of uh, vaccine side effects, um, excess mortality, uh, and, and then concurrent with that, all the various theories that people have regarding uh, who was behind the insistence on vaccine. I mean, all stuff we have talked about a great deal here. And um, and so I just want to open a little bit with that and uh, ask for uh, some comments. I'll just kind of turn it over to you guys here. Johan. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I can I can just add to that real briefly because uh, this uh, this magazine Politico, uh, the European, uh, uh, it, it's a journal, political journal magazine that reports on uh, European politics, basically. And they're going quite hard at uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, because apparently the negotiations with Pfizer have, have taken place entirely outside the normal channels. And the European Commission refuses to provide full documentation of this, uh, this procurement procedure. And they're getting heavily criticized for this as well. They're, they're also uh, noticing that uh, uh, Pfizer's president did not testify before the Parliament's special committee on the COVID pandemic, and, and it's kind of a huge deal in, in the media here in Europe. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, uh, uh, I, 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 I think that what we will do is, um, is uh, uh, um, provide I'm going to pause here for one second. Um, yeah, I, I want to provide a lot of links in um, <clears throat> when we post this to to all these various uh, pharmaceutical revelations, executives talking about it, and doctors and and I mean, there's there's really quite a few and. Uh, I think the more interesting 
the more interesting question has to do with with the public response to it or lack of response and the fact that that it feels um curiously like a limited hangout of some sort that that, that there's a question of timing and uh uh <clears throat> and how these things are being presented to the public and, and it's it's a it's not a it's not a front page story is it? it it's it's a page three story and it's it's intentionally the 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 media mainstream media legacy media whatever you want to call it uh is intentionally <clears throat> keeping it off of the front page as though this were you know a minor faux pas on the part of of big pharma and it's of no significant consequence because simultaneous to this uh you see you see government leaders insisting on children getting a third booster shot and stuff uh in in without acknowledging that there's been all of these other issues raised uh it's like it's like alternate realities that uh that that exist and I and I guess a lot of the public either ignores what they don't want to believe, ignores what what flies in the face of of you know positions they've held, uh, or or they just are remarkably good at compartmentalizing. I I don't really know, but but there's something that that feels oddly surreal about about how this is all taking place anyway um but but comments from you guys it's i think it's sort of kind of camouflaged behind the russia ukraine crisis and the energy prices mm. so all of this is kind of like that's the forefront that's the that's the game that the revelation is always going to be under immediate pressure of survival right. um i continue to have like weird um mic problems here um there we go okay let's hope this stays together um, yeah well you know we are reaching it you're reaching in terms of of the the ukraine uh russia nato you know the the proxy war uh we are reaching such levels of 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 misinformation, of doublespeak, of groupthink, of that that I'm at a loss to 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 find you know new adjectives to to employ. I, it, it the mainstream media, whether it's you know insisting that Russia blew up their own pipeline for no discernible reason, um, the constant reports that that you know russia is losing and all of these soldiers they lost 6000 soldiers one day when in fact it was ukraine that lost 6000 soldiers any anybody who is there any reporter who's there people like vanessa Beely and eve bartlett and uh <clears throat> you you know pepe escobar uh all of these these clearly um reporting stuff that more or less resembles uh first-hand information and 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 feels reliable and then you read the sort of lurid new york times stuff that always includes gratuitous 
uh, demonization of, of Russian culture, Russian society, and certainly of Putin. And this constant drumbeat that Russia is threatening nuclear war and so forth, uh, which, which they're not, quite the opposite. Uh, and, and so it starts to feel, what starts to feel frightening about this is that, uh, <clears throat> you know, Russia, Russia changed commanders and, and this hardline guy took over. Um, Pepe Escobar had a great column on him, and and, um, and, uh, and and Russia, you know, mounted um, a, a, a sort of uh, the the most effective, and and when they sort of took the gloves off, the most effective assault they have since this conflict began, and. Uh, Zelensky, you know, is, is ever more strident and desperate when he appears now, and 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 I feel like one is watching this strange media um, um, pantomime, this play. Uh, Tucker Carlson was on the other day with Aaron Mate, and I I'm just trying to process these relationships, right, and and. Tucker Carlson goes, yeah, who is this uppity foreigner in a t-shirt demanding billions of dollars? And I thought, well, that's pretty funny, but what's Aaron Monte doing on Tucker Carlson? Not that I trust Aaron Monte at all, but, but, and what is, like what level of irony is Carlson um, uh, expressing this stuff in? I don't know, it, it feels completely, um, to me, like nothing I have I have ever watched unfold before. Um, Corey, yeah, and I mean Matei is on there because no one will give him the so-called you know liberals will no no longer give him a platform, right? I mean, not long ago Naomi Wolf was on there as well. So when there's nowhere else to go, and you have this um, chance to you know reach a huge audience, I guess you go there. But I, I just wanted to add like how it really does feel even week by week, even moment by moment really, that we're becoming more and more um, detached from reality itself. And I think one of you guys said today um, earlier you know, that maybe, maybe it was you, John, that the reason maybe metaverse has been such a huge failure is because we, we live in a metaverse and you can just create your own reality. We are creating our own reality. I mean, we don't even respect our planetary boundaries. We don't care about nature. We will just recreate or redesign nature, right? And we'll decide what lives and what doesn't. So just more and more um, it just seems like we're becoming more insane, actually, as, as a society, as, a, you know, the Western culture, and just, yeah, more detached from reality itself, because if it's framed properly, the way if they frame it, people just fall into that framing, you know, whether they use, like, the, what we were talking about earlier, the celebrity fetish, right, like this um, fetish with celebrity, um, they have all these vices, and the people just sort of clamor on board. And reality really doesn't have anything to do with anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. And and uh, <clears throat> yeah, that comment about the metaverse, because I, I was thinking about it today because I was reading an article discussing what a what an abject failure the metaverse has been. Um, you know, and and nobody nobody <laughs> visits the metaverse, and so it's this this massive failure and and. I guess Zuckerberg, 
hires different celebrities to try to, you know, do something in the metaverse, but it has no resonance, it has no traction. <clears throat> and I, I did think, well, it's because, you know, for a long time now, um, the, the public has, has already been living in a metaverse. I mean, that's what online life is. That's what the Zoom conferences are. That's what streaming platforms are about. And it's what watching Hollywood product is about. And, you know, we, it's been well established for a long time that people identify in a very unhealthy way with the stuff they watch on television. But this has been true for a very long time. I mean, when Dr. Kildare, when was that? You know, the 60s uh, was a hit medical show. Uh, what was it? Richard Chamberlain, I think. Was that his name? Um, the actor, anyway, he played Dr. Kildare and he would get hundreds or thousands of letters every week from people um, saying, dear Dr. Kildare, my wife suffers terrible migraines and I was wondering what, you know, we could do to, uh, and, and he had to make some, you know, public service announcement saying, that's where the whole mem came from. I'm not a real doctor. I just play one on television. That was the origins of it. Uh, so, so people have had this, this loss, and it probably goes back, to, you know, really to Orson Welles and War of the Worlds, that in spite of a long introduction to that radio broadcast, explaining this, this is based on H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds, and we hope you enjoy this presentation, people still thought real aliens were invading. So, I mean, none of this is new, it's just reached truly pathological degrees now that that I think it's mm. and this is what we were trying to talk about before we started this by that 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 the celebrity identification fetishizing this the, the the real metaverse that is the spectacle in general electronic media that that in some sense we were also talking about celebrities as the new gods new deities in, in some sense but it is I feel we're we're just scratching the surface of of deconstructing it, picking it apart in any meaningful way because it's it's reached the the the, the quantity has passed into quality. I mean, it's a qualitative new change in human consciousness in some way. The people that are that are deeply addicted to this stuff, they have yeah, unhinged from reality indeed, mm. but but they're more deeply engaged in a construction of of personal reality somehow and maybe that accounts for the the, the way in which the public accepts contradictions that are, that are so glaringly mm. obvious mm. um okay i've got the hiroyuki and then johan um i i really uh, I, uh what you're saying is totally true and uh, i i also think that the uh, uh it um it's directly connected to the nature of capitalism to um, take away your social relations, take away your values and everything else uh, and replace it with the uh, uh, corporate uh, values, corporate social relations. So uh, in a way, um, as soon as we were dominated by uh, capitalist institutions, uh, we don't really have 
um, social relations that are purely uh, for our interests. We are operating in this um, metaverse, <laughs> um, you know? So it, it is totally true and the exacerbation of um, 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 the restrictions and the framework, the tightness of the framework has been um, here because of the uh, consolidation of capitalist organizations, the financial organizations. Uh, I think the, the concentration of capital is uh, the, the uh, steepest. It's, we've never had anything like this uh, during the time of kings and queens. So, um, and also we, we are experiencing uh, this shift artificially orchestrated, um, we are uh, going through this transition to what they call um, a fourth industrial revolution. So in, in this uh, e equation, I think the social institutions we rely on and uh, um, also the, uh, the authority relies on they need to come down, I think. So in a way, the interests of the dissidents mm -hmm. and the interests of the uh, oligarchs kind of merge. So this is a really, really tricky situation. You know, we, we were talking about um, uh, Fauci, uh, this or that, military industrial complex, this or that, media, uh, this or that. And we want to destroy them. But the oligarchs, for them, they are probably um, sort of obstacles as well. They, they, they do need to uh, have um, some kind of shift. So this is really tricky. We're talking about corruption in many, many fields. We're talking about uh, medical industry, media, politics, uh, and we attack, vehemently <coughs> attack those organizations. And that's probably what those people who are orchestrating the shift want as well. Yeah. You know, um, this is, this Johan is, and, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no well, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I kind see of, all these yellow uh, hands raised. brainstorming. <laughs> you know, like the difficulty, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling, you know, um, uneasy, uneasiness when I see people, uh, you know, accusing this or that, and uh, and I totally agree, and uh, we do need to uh, dig them up and you know expose, but. Um, you know, you know what I mean. I do, I do, um, and I. This is remind. I reminded me of several things I want to talk about. But first, um, uh, uh, Johan, and then Varun. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you kind of turn everything on its head because I, I think you have an important point in that the focus of, of criticism always risks reproducing that which it targets. But, but. Setting that aside for, for just a second, I, I just wanted to, to, to say that, and this is a good example of what you are trying to say, I think, but nonetheless, this, this ad you posted, Corey, just uh, like two hours ago, I think that uh, 
the, the fact that the metaverse is you know already quite present was was very well expressed in this ad by by the by the symbolism and by the content it was a coca-cola ad uh saying something to the effect that the, the real magic of coca-cola connects us in in you know peace and love through this sanctifying digital matrix and I, I remember that Faroon wrote something very interesting in, in relation to this, this very despicable piece of advertising. Uh, you remarked that, that we're dealing with this, this inversion with a depiction of the real world in dystopian terms to be, you know, revivified and sanctified by the digital, you know, a sort of special instance of this ideological construct I've been describing as uh, technological or, or scientific redemptionism. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that uh, inversion. No, I think it was just the idea, I mean, the disconnection that they are forcing for the individual. Like I'll also kind of quote what Hiroyuki and Corey said, which is the tightness of the framework and the isolationism attached to this idea that the world is barren, but it can only be revived through mm. your avatar in a digital interface by drinking a fizzy drink by some multinational, <laughs> right? And so this, this, the, the depth of delusion in that is very frightening for me because if that is something that younger people are growing up watching then their idea of the world as a scary place is kind of compounded because the only thing they're watching right now on the news is war and politics and bad politics and corruption right and hyper entertainment so to, to get away from this then as we were speaking about before about the um the idea of celebrity and the idea of the hero or the heroine that you can save the world if you do these things. But in that sense, the hero's journey is limited to the industrial complex. It is not any longer in a cosmological order of things. So yeah, there is no yeah. need for self-reflection, right? There is only need for this kind of blind action that right. needs to take place in the digital space. Yeah, I think that's, <clears throat> that's a really um, uh, cogent, observation now I, I there's so many things I want to mention here <clears throat> uh, one is I don't know if you guys saw it I think you did the the photograph of the the government representative from the Czech Republic I think she's the head of the Czech Nuclear Energy Commission uh, and she was wearing a t-shirt t-shirts seem to be very popular this year uh, wearing a t-shirt that said, fuck Putin. This is a government official. <laughs> fuck Putin. And she had a, a death's hand, a skeletal hand giving the finger. And then it said, all praise or something uh, to the Ukrainian heroes. Now, um, my, my immediate thought was, that how how do these people, visibly stupid people, get into such positions of power at this point? That's one of the phenomenon that exists today is, is the rise of, you know, people have, have, you know, complained about the rise of mediocrity over, you know, X amount of time that bureaucracy institutions tend to favor, 
you know, a certain kind of mediocrity, but it's not that. Now institutions favor rank stupidity, um, immaturity. I mean, this mm. is a government of, you know, <clears throat> of the Nuclear Energy Commission. I mean, it's not an insignificant position. Um, she's, she's not, you know, a neighborhood librarian. She's a, a you know, a high ranking government official. So, uh, so that was one thing, but, but the, the, the idea of this, this, this loss um, of, of purchase on reality, on, on, you know, individual experience, the erosion of, I think people don't trust their own experience anymore, partly. Um, I don't, I, I mean, you hear people rooting on, on social media who will be rooting for nuclear war. And if somebody says, we must make peace and stop the war, they are pilloried for saying such things, right? Uh, you wuss, you pussy, you don't want nuclear war. <laughs> it's like, um, because I guess it has all just become a television show, um, a, a screen reality, and there are no consequences to, to what happens on the screen. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but I think, Look, Guy Debord wrote Society of the Spectacle in 68, was it? And he wrote comments mm. on the Society of the Spectacle in 85. Uh, you know, people have been aware of, of the, the, what, what exchange value has meant um, in terms of ideology, what capitalism and, and, and the profit motive have done to, uh, to, to the consciousness of people in the West. And I think we're also seeing the results of this, this two-year lockdown, which was very, very severe in some places, you know, much less so in Scandinavia, um, but, but that it collectively and the, and the shaming and the histrionics attached, the, the, you know, the stigmatizing of people who dissented and in the incredible amount of anger that that erupted in an already angry social media uh, has has been remarkable and and disturbing and I think is is something you know quite new in a way uh, the the degree of it the magnitude of it um, but anyway uh, Johan did you want to add something more Yeah, I, if nobody else has anything to say, I, I have some. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that you, Varun, mentioned this this reduction of the classical hero and its journey in, in, into this blind activism. Because uh, I, I, I well, let me begin with the uh, Albert Marcuse uh, of the Frankfurt School, because you know, in his in his studies of, of fascism with uh, Adorno and the other guys, Marcuse elaborated this uh, this notion of a modern heroic folkish frame of reference. Heroic folkish was the name he used which he kind of regarded as uh, both a precursor to and a key characteristic of fascism. And, and the idea here is that you get this sort of the popular mentality that is peculiar to modern mass society that eschews reason and critical thought for this action-oriented, emotionally charged mode of being that's uh, communicated through a, a relatively simple and libidinously charged symbolic framework. 
so it's kind of this this sort of natural popular response or, or counterpart to the spectacular propaganda that, that brings to life this this frame of reference and and uh, interestingly i saw today uh, i mean this this idea of the hero has been rehashed quite a bit but i think it's still a helpful lens through which we can we can understand much of of the mechanics of the contemporary political situation and I saw this, this New York Times article that details the rise of a meme that's called, that's named Dark Brandon, which is basically what it sounds like. It's, it's, a, it's a reappropriation of, of an ironic MAGA meme that depicts Biden as this powerful evil entity modeled after the, the contemporary anti-superhero aesthetics. And I, I think that's a, a, an interesting place to start. So, so you, you wanna add something to this? Uh, I, can, I do, but I see. Let me get call Corey, and then oh, yeah, I, yeah, I I do Corey. Okay, dead air. microphone. Yeah, you're muted, Corey. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and talk for yeah. a second then. Um, the the <clears throat> um. Sorry about the, that. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Go ahead. You go ahead then. Fuck, sorry. Okay, so I just wanted to add, and I'm sort of, I don't want to confuse the conversation here between you and Johan and what's going on, but I, I just wanted to add why I even was looking at Coca-Cola. Um, I came across, you know, uh, BBC activists, NGOs are just baffled, you know, about Coca-Cola being the sponsor for COP27, okay, 27 years, it's insane, and it's insane itself. Um, anyway, I, I just, you know, created a post basically saying that the idea that NGOs, environmental groups, or quote-unquote activists are shocked over that is completely vacuous, and if anything, um, you know, the sponsorship of Coca-Cola over COP27 validates um, this massive, monumental, vast corporate dominance that we've seen accelerate over the past two and a half years in tandem with the nonprofit industrial complex project of quote unquote together, which is um, basically the citizenry, the state and the corporate corporate power joining hands, right, singing kumbaya. So that's that again, this goes back to framing media. And um, actually, this is a nod to the corporate world and global finance. It's um, an actual signal to the triumph of nature as a new asset class. And Coca-Cola is right at the top of this um, tier of this helm that's moving ahead with um, creating quote unquote natural capital through nature-based solutions, which was brought on board and made um, popular made um, the public acquiesce to basically these quote unquote solutions by George Monbiot, right? And um, the Guardian and Greta. And so basically those with money will own nature. And so again, um, net zero, which now is being used by Coca-Cola, um, nuclear, everybody on board, all the banks, net zero is not about climate or protecting nature, it's about financial markets. And so just this whole thing is, again, a detachment from reality, mm -hmm. like even the idea that, um, you know, COP27, now let's not forget that World Economic Forum became um, a formal partner with the United Nations, and they're in charge now of all the quote unquote solutions, the STDs, which are um, SD what are they called, uh, Sustainable Development Goals, which are um, the global goals 
anyway, that's World Economic Forum. That's the emerging markets, right, going forward. So this is actually more of a World Economic Forum event now, um, you know, in tandem with the Commonwealth. So it, it's just, again, like how, how reality, how this is so detached from reality, you know, this, this whole thing. So I just wanted to add that. And then another thing with the Coca-Cola, um, when I looked at their growth in 2019, I think, um, what was it? I, I don't even know if they if the revenue increased in 2019, but all of a sudden in 2021, let me see if I can find it. Um, it went from 24 million um, net operating revenues increased from 24, 403 million in 2020 to 29, 191 million in 2021 and increased of almost 20%. And then I believe 2022 was was even higher. And so Let's see, 2022, June 30, 2022, um, 41.322 billion, which was a 13.48% increase year over year. And then in 2021, it was a 17.9% increase from 2022. The year before, it was actually a decline of 11%. So what I'm saying is it's a complete role model for how, you know, that huge wealth transfer to the top. So, I mean, people are really, um, you know, you, you really have to um, engage in willful blindness, like not to see what is happening here, this massive wealth transfer yeah. up to the top and this whole thing going forward. Um, and it's just a complete, um, it's almost like, you know, a parody of how ridiculous it is and how it's all staring people right in the face and no one wants to see it. You know, and then to yeah. pretend that these people are going to save us somehow, or that now they're going to, you know, all of a sudden mitigate climate, they're going to protect the environment and all this. Again, more and more, more and more, like you said, it's like a pathology, a complete detachment from reality and a complete rejection of, of the actual facts on the ground. Hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> can I just I add something to I'm sorry, what, Rune? Can I just add something really quick? Okay. There was um, a, sh a short for a film on privatization of water at a, in, a, in a small village in India. And during that research, we found out that it takes 10 liters of water to make one liter of Coca-Cola. Um, the factory that was running in that little village had illegally drilled ground to um, to use the groundwater, so the villagers, out of the eight hand pumps that they had, had only one which was functioning, and they had to. The rest of the villagers had to walk about two kilometers to get water from other from another village. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, we could we could devote whole episodes to Coca Cola, just just like we could to Walt Disney and all kinds of other topics. Yeah, it's it's. Um, but let me see, I, 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 I want to go back and answer Johan's comments and, and then touch on a couple of things that Corey mentioned. Uh, uh, the uh, that that what Marcusa talked about there is still extraordinarily relevant, but it also touches on and this is not what I was originally going to say, but I think maybe now is more relevant as a response. 
what I have spoken of before is the rehabilitation of fascism. And <clears throat> this sort of a, the, the attraction of authoritarian, um, uh, authoritarian states, authoritarian individuals, the sort of the, the role of the fascist leader, the orator, and so forth, is is migrating into into other areas in a sense. And the, the, we still have these figures, you know, like Mussolini and Hitler, that resemble that kind of um, charismatic single leader, but but because I guess we all live in a metaverse in some sense, <clears throat> the the uh, that Hollywood is is hugely guilty in in one sense because if what if you look at if you were to 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 try to find the common denominator or common denominators in most hit shows over the last twenty years hit dramas but comedies too um, uh, hour long whether it's a cop show a lawyer show a medical show etc. If you took the common denominators from all of them, the most uh, important is that the is has nothing to do with the narrative. The narrative is utterly fungible and disposable. Yeah. Nobody cares about it. Uh, it is the workplace, in a sense, the substitute family that is created um, by you know whether it's friends or criminal minds or law and order or you know any of the Dick Wolf franchises, Chicago PD, etc., uh, uh, all the way back to stuff like Hill Street Blues and so forth. Uh, there's countless examples, uh, Blue Bloods that has seemingly been on for a million years now, Tom Selleck show. The the Selleck show was interesting because. He is the police commissioner of New York and he has his family are all cops and lawyers and every Sunday night, because I think Selleck is this very conservative Christian actually, uh, in the show every Sunday night, essentially the show ends, each hour episode ends with a family dinner on Sunday night. Everybody says grace and they joke with each other and, and Selleck sits at the head of the table <clears throat> as the patriarch smiling, beaming um, beneficently down on his, on his family, uh, who are all, you know, <laughs> all cops. And, uh, but it's a warm and wholesome, and it is the, a world like the, like the apartment in Friends, like um, the workplace in any cop show, uh, that people want to be. I mean, their own lives are drab and empty and extraordinarily mm. stressful. There's no job security. Families have splintered. Tradition has been eroded. Uh, people live in often suburban tracks that they had under a family had no part in creating. There is the you know an architectural alienation of uh, uh, zoning alienation. All of it, <clears throat> though, disappears because people can visit this, this universe on television in which co-workers are happy, they're not angry at each other, they support each other, they have each other's back, and it's warm and often very wholesome. Uh, and, 
and there's no strife and people seem to be able to afford wonderful apartments and uh, have, <laughs> they don't spend time ever in television uh, stopped in traffic jams or they never have trouble finding a place to park. These are all the stressful indignities of, for most people in urban America, not to mention that homelessness and so forth is invisible. But this leads me to very quickly, because I'm jumping all around, I know, the, the, um, there has been an incident reported uh, in Houston, and I wish I, I will link the, the social media guy who is terrific, Nick something, I forget his name, uh, who has been reporting on a group of cops showed up at a public meeting to intimidate uh, witnesses against like police brutality and so forth. And nobody did anything about this. The police now officially, I mean, Mike Davis said this 30 years ago, the police officially now are an occupational army. Mm. <laughs> an army of occupation, I beg your pardon. They are a sadistic <laughs> army of occupation, in fact, in, in urban America and, and really in small town America as well. I mean, and they're all militarized and that's what they do. But, but there is, that's one of the contradictions. In daily life, people are terrorized by the police. They're fearful of the police. Nobody trusts them. Uh, and the United States puts everybody in prison anyway. Everything is criminalized. But on television, in the metaverse, uh, the police are, are honorable and honest and very attractive and um, sexy and they have great teeth and warm smiles and what a relief to, to visit one's metaverse, right? But behind all of that is a constant drumbeat of jingoistic pro-military um, and pro-violence and pro-authority. It is the constant propping up of, of the the beauty and and you know spiritual perfection of authority yeah. that one should be obedient to okay i have a dozen more things to say but i'm going to turn it over to johan yeah thanks this is great i think i think I'm, i can i can tie a few of these things together because to begin with coca-cola korean and varun as you describe the the concrete situation I think it's an excellent example of this uh, this uh, disconnect, this unreality, because placing Coca-Cola as some sort of protagonist in the environmental struggle, I mean, that's it's completely contradictory and completely unreal. And it's the same thing I, I think I see in this dark Brandon meme. Uh, so let, let me just elaborate, because they're, they're kind of they're kind of trying to repackage this uh, "Let's Go Brandon" meme. And also combine it with this uh, this anti-hero model that sort of derives from Nolan's Batman to, to imbue this this brand this brand of Biden this brand of, of Brandon with the authority of violence and and arbitrary power because something like you said just now John the, this this anti-hero this fascist trope of the evil and insane outsider like like the Joker or Batman or Harry Callahan. <laughs> That, that archetype is, you know, in a sense, both freer and, and more awe-inspiring than the, the white knight type of, of protagonist. And the retweeting of this dark Brandon meme by the White House, I think, is very much an example of this sort of overt rehabilitation of, of fascism you're talking about. But also, I'm just going to end on this note. 
what struck me as as new here as something new here when I thought about this today is how, how transparently and thoroughly unreal this signification is because it has absolutely no basis in reality because I mean you, you could half believe George Bush is this this rugged homesteader wielding his axe on his ranch or <laughs> something like that but but portraying Biden as something like Batman is so obviously ironic that that the the reappropriation really epitomizes the political discourse is utter disconnect from reality. It's, it's just the brand and nothing else. And, yeah, and I that's think such this a good is, comment. Yeah. yeah. No, man, this is kind of why we can make the idea that Russia blew up those pipelines ring true. Because as you say, John, the, the way the narrative is structured and framed, that's everything, and the content is almost irrelevant. Well, just a, a couple of quick thoughts and then we turn it to Varun. Uh, the dark brand and um, mem or meme, I never know how to pronounce that. The dark Brandon uh, is a very conscious of uh, uh, Madison Avenue, you know, whoever the marketers yeah. are that work for the White House, uh, to provide Biden with some potency because yeah. he's a, you know, he's a senile, impotent old man, and he and he projects um, a lack of potency and um, authority. And Kamala Harris is just a train wreck, so so they just want to keep her out of sight. And and so the 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 Democratic um, marketing teams thought, well, okay, he can become uh, uh, an evil villain, you know, which is completely divorced from from Biden's actual you know evil banality uh, uh, by by you know create manufacturing this mem somehow, and it will resemble Batman, and we should get into a tiny bit of deconstruction on on the batman thing but but look this has also been the archetype of um oh who's who has a motorcycle in the background <laughs> i just heard that somebody does um the the uh all the way back to john milton i mean i mean satan is far yeah. Yeah. more appealing in in paradise lost than anybody else um, the fallen angel is always sexier, and and the outlaw in in fictional narrative is always um, is always more appealing. I mean, you can you can go down the line. There's so many incarnations of this. I remember when I was a young boy, and I watched Doctor Zhivago. I think I was you know ten years old or something, and I went with my parents to the movies. It was a big deal. And um, and I thought, wow, the only cool guy in this movie is the Tom Courtney character, right? Um, who was the who was the sort of uh, scar-faced um, uh, communist at the end? And the, actually, all the communists in that film are are far sexier than um, uh, the the central protagonist. But anyway, but 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 you know, and and so the anti-hero idea, which perhaps first arose with you know Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry that that became the prototype um, was also a vigilante on some level and that segues to a discussion of Batman who is a billionaire vigilante um, who operates outside the law and of course there is always this uh, Travis Bickle is a form of this in a weird sort of way uh, who who is out to cleanse uh, the filth of the city, the infestation of crime and you know poverty and so forth. The victims are always blamed and they're always seen 
as carriers of disease and somehow uh, unhealthy and congenitally defective and so forth and so on. And, and I mean, that you see the tentacles here, eugenicists cleaning up the world, cleaning nature to make it safe for the very rich who is, who is you know, um, Bruce Wayne, in fact. And, uh, you know, it's extraordinary. And so the, 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 the but, but your comment about the irony, sort of the inversion of irony in a sense is, is extraordinarily insightful. And I think we could spend a lot of time talking about that because the reality of Biden interests nobody, um, I don't think. And, and mm. uh, the dark Brandon mem is a lot more appealing and people will start functioning on the reality of, of dark Brandon. Just like Zelensky, all of these, these you know, portraits of Zelensky, so-called like reveals of Zelensky standing in front of a green screen um, have no effect on, on, on anything. People already knew that. They don't care, they like it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, the, the, I forget who, who said it, that the, the art of people want the artificial, people want the fake. Um, Varun? Yeah, I think what Johan, you were saying right now, I think it kind of points to the absolute discretion that the establishment has to position itself within society as the power structure. And simultaneously what happens is that the public becomes helpless, powerless, listless, broke, and kind of struggling within itself against gas bills and petrol bills. So when, when they turn iconic, I mean, the iconography in that sense is so specific that they, are, they have the complete freedom to even make fun of themselves without having any blowback or any kind of change in the dynamic. Right, absolutely. <clears throat> no, I think, look, I remember, um, and I said this in my last blog post, Nike ran a print ad. It only lasted for a day. It was an experiment as I understood it. And the ad was a picture of a single basketball shoe with the Nike swoosh on it. And the ad copy was made in a sweatshop. That was it. That was the entirety of the ad. Nobody was outraged. You know, it was taken off, I think, for legal reasons, but everybody already knew that right so they they didn't care um but yeah i think i think uh, yeah i think there's something um also that that one could i mean i suppose it's obvious because people have, have deconstructed marvel comics and so forth for a long time and and but one of the authors of <clears throat> marvel and i forget who um old man recently uh, said he was so surprised that adults, and he was disturbed mm -hmm. by the fact that so much of the audience for this stuff was adult, because he goes, we wrote it for teenage boys. Um, it, you know, we never thought adults it, like would be an audience for this stuff. And so that's the, the infantilization thing again. Um, Johan and then Baru. Yeah, I just have a question for Hiroyuki, because I, I... I read somewhere that that uh, China's audiences were very much uh, enamored with the Western modern superhero franchises. And, and since you just visited South Korea, 
I was wondering what your general experience of, of, of that country or that sort of that culture you, you were very briefly now in was because I have this this idea of, of South Korea as this hyper real, extremely mediated, spectacular society. And I am kind of curious as to what your experience was. Wow, that's uh, that's a hard thing to answer. Um, um because it's you know it's a, it's a really generalized um, topic, but at the same time the uh, uh, the question is actually pointed. <laughs> so um, uh, my impression was that um, I did feel that there is a good amount of uh, social cohesion left in the society somehow. And um, I, I, this is really, I'm sort of being puzzled by the whole experience. I really felt comfortable. I really felt safe. I really felt comfortable uh, eating food, talking to the people and um, uh, which, which is not necessarily, uh, which is not true um, uh, uh, in the States. A lot of the times um, I would worry about uh, safety when I'm in uh, certain areas. Um, I have uh, generalized um, worries and concerns. I don't even know where it's coming from. And um, um, uh, when I visited Japan a few years ago, um, as soon as I uh, I was at the airport, uh, that feeling was gone, mm -hmm. and it, I, it this is hard to describe, but there is something um, that's coming from it. It's I think it's the consequence of uh, highly draconian measures that are totally structured and. Um, uh, institutionalized mm -hmm. in our society, and um, in and in some societies, even though they are under the uh, imperial hegemony, um, you don't have that. So th that's uh, one thing, and uh, and another thing is that I think South Korean society is very very uh, uh, dominated by the sense of uh, obedience uh, and um, uh, collaboration and um, uh, the mm -hmm. sense of um, uh, there's a sense of community somehow uh, in good ways in bad ways uh, I'm sure and uh, uh, and th that's a cultural thing I think um, I, I think it's a history of um, um, you know historical path um, of country like that, uh, as opposed to country like the United States, which has been dominated by the fact that uh, there is great sense of uh, class divisions and um, it's completely normalized and um, you don't even talk about it. You don't even uh, think anything when you encounter uh, homeless people. There's no discussion. They, they are there functioning uh, as um, people with predicaments. And uh, I mean, it's a it's a caste system, you know. So um, um, 
Yeah, I don't even know if I'm answering any of your <laughs> questions, Johan. <clears throat> but um, but there there is a difference, you know. And I I I really felt that um, uh, it's really important for us to be exposed to uh, different societies, uh, mm. different collectives, um, uh, engaging with each other in different environment because uh, you see. Uh, resilience. You see uh, how people can be ingenious, uh, uh, sustainable within uh, different conditions, nice. and um, um, and and it's 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 too bad that the uh, the, the COVID event um, has been uh, in the way of that um, um, as much as. Uh, uh, destroying communities and uh, um, uh, social cohesions in many other ways. Um, yeah, I I wanted to to um, <clears throat> I what are they, I'm forgetting as many topics as I'm remembering here. You guys are bringing up a lot of things. Uh, I want to mention the protests uh, happening in Europe because the media, Western media, doesn't cover it at all and we're seeing massive protests because of uh, the inflation. Food prices are astronomically high. Heating uh, energy bills are unpayably high. So in virtually every country in the EU, I think at this point, uh, we're seeing protests and sometimes very, very big ones. The, the farmer protests continue in the Netherlands and in, in Italy, there've been um, very uh, boisterous uh, and intense protests in France now, um, increasingly uh, uh, energetic uh, protests, uh, anti-Macron protests, stop giving money to NATO, let's get out of NATO, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, my question is, really, and we talked about this before the, the podcast began, my sense is, and my question is, these protests, these people are skeptical of all the narratives, whether it's the, the protocols for COVID, the vaccine <clears throat> mandates, they are critical of uh, giving money to Ukraine and NATO, they're critical of the huge inflationary prices they're paying for everything. They fear <clears throat> being able to warm their house in the coming winter. But, but there is a lack of political context mm. somehow. I don't get the feeling, and I've said this before, but I remember the protests against the war in Vietnam, the anti-war protests in the United States at that time were, were very politicized, hugely politicized. And again, this is this, is this discussion of uh, the loss of a, of a counterculture. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> that has that has eroded. I don't. I think the problem is, as Corey, I think mentioned to me, the 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 if the prices return to normal, in quotation marks, the word normal, um, or you know, just a little bit worse than normal. If the vaccine mandate is lifted mostly, if uh, you know uh, the restrictions are are you know soften somewhat, et cetera, et cetera. If things return more or less to normal, these protests will dissipate and people will go back to their, their <clears throat> in quotation marks again, normal life. Uh, because 
these are lives that are already precarious and these are people already traumatized by the system these the public in general has been assaulted by media and propaganda and misinformation for 40 years and unions are gone and social unity is gone cohesion is gone traditions are gone uh, people feel more and more alienated there's huge you know increases in self-harm in suicide um, domestic violence uh, use of antidepressants etc the west is not a healthy place it is not a happy place and uh it is hard to imagine that that these protests uh include any um meaningful political critique but i could also be totally wrong about that i don't know and and i i don't know where this goes except that the flip side of that the other thing i want to say is that this suggests because people are very good at articulating what's wrong with the world economic forum <clears throat> king charles and his you know world wildlife fund all this appropriation of of you know climate discourse by the capitalists it becomes new markets it becomes a way to dominate um the working class and the poor um even further to to pauperize the working class even further we see all of this and people can analyze it but i think what what is forgotten a little bit is that that the architects of this klaus schwab and and you know you can go through the list including bill gates um the architects of this stuff expected the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset to take place much faster and seem more seamlessly and with less effort uh then has happened it's much like the u.s military and pentagon you know when they invaded iraq this is going to be a cakewalk it'll be six days it'll all be over um be, i think because the ruling class the the, the the people of this extreme wealth are not any more in touch with reality than the people they see as their subjects and they imagined that all of this would be implemented we'd have a cashless society everything digitalized mass surveillance and people would be utterly obedient and all be taken care of in six months and you know life would be perfect all air flights would be private jets and uh you know the workers would wear masks and they you know the ruling class wouldn't have to that's i think what they imagined we can get into you know scarier sort of of theories of of the eugenism you know of vaccine uh side effects and mortality uh you know figures and so forth but but this side of that uh the discussion is never about um how much this has failed so far it seems to me so okay i turn it over to hiroyuki um i i was actually um um kind of uh thinking about what happened in the uh 60s and 70s in the us in particular and um um the uh, anti-war movement uh uh with particular aim to end the vietnam war and also uh civil rights movement uh politicized uh side of the uh civil rights movement not the uh, uh revolutionary uh, aspect of it. And uh, those things 
I kind of see them as uh, 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 given to the people by the establishment. And they, uh, they did perpetuate white supremacist uh, hierarchy. Long after that, we have worse situation with in minority communities communities today, and we have the biggest military empire, uh, 800, 900 military bases across the globe. So they end, uh, they ended the Vietnam War, but they built the uh, empire. So you know, <coughs> it, it, we could get into the same situation uh, right now. We could have some sort of victory over uh, fourth industrial revolution or whatever they are talking about. But the, the imperial structure is going mm. to be perpetuated. And right, the right. illusion of the victory over, you know, those people who are, uh, who have been demonized by the um, uh, uh, so-called dissidents. Um, you know what I mean? No, I do. And and I think, uh, I, I mean, think this is I really depressing. depressing no, I, I, no, 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 I think that I forget who said it, that, that people have an easier time imagining the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Uh, this is an off-quoted uh, remark, and, but it, and it's quoted so often because it's, because it's true. Uh, this accounts for, on one level, in my opinion, the popularity of all zombie films and post-apocalyptic films mm. and contagion films is they're all reconstructionist dramas and people want to start over. Um, yeah. They do want to start over. Um, I Am Legend, wasn't the one with Will Smith, yeah. which is also about real estate. People have a fantasy that if we could just, cities were empty, I could go live in that great brownstone on Washington Square Park for free. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that seems incredibly appealing. Who cares? There's nobody else alive in the world. I, you know, I get my aspirational piece of real estate. Everything would be okay. Uh, but that's the level, again, this is, this is the metaverse, right? Uh, and, and this is, this is the way in which Hollywood product is process these days. People don't experience the narrative, uh, as I said earlier, as of great importance. So, th so they don't track that, you know, the idea of, of denouement or resolution or, you know, let alone the tragic, uh, it's, it's all absent now. It's, the stuff is largely, I think, scanned in a in a kind of pattern recognition uh, and people are invested in it. And this is maybe what we're all getting at in some sense. People are invested in it in a completely other register than 60 years ago, people were invested in reading Joseph Conrad novels or something, uh, or you know Thomas Hardy or whoever. Uh, people are invested in their favorite TV show or movie or Marvel comics and an sort of entirely other register. And it would be interesting to, at some point, probably um, tweeze apart what that, what that is. Corey and then Johan. 
Yeah, I think one of the, like, I agree totally that this did not go as planned for the ruling class. And I mean, but I think one of their huge triumphs was actually the conflation of communism with the Great Reset, right? And the conflation of communism with, with the ruling class to the point where you can't even talk about it. You can't talk about an alternate system. You can't talk about communism. You can't, I, and I mean, why, why can't we talk about a system that serves the working class rather than the ruling class, a system that crushes the ruling class, that overthrows the ruling class? That's exactly what we need to be talking about. And I mean, they couldn't be more pleased that no one now is talking about that. You know, now you've got, you know, the Red Scare time, times 50. Um, and it, it, it's actually... Insane. And because we don't have that counterculture, we don't have people talking about imperialism and about all these injustices and the system itself. We have, um, like you said, you, you know, people are on, on their computers or gaming on Netflix, what have you. And so that's, you know, another, another triumph. But unless we're going to talk about the system, right? And, and how, how do we overthrow the system? And why can't we talk about that? And I don't know, I, I just feel like this discussion is important because it's something mm. you can't even, you can't even talk about it online. You get instantly, at, like absolutely attacked. And it's insane mm. because that's exactly what we need to talk about. How do we take back our power? We're the workers, like everything belongs to us. We just have to take it back. And we're not talking about that. So anyway, I'm sort of yeah. That's I think that's a great way of putting it, and and I think that's what kind of were some of my thoughts when I when I watch these protests is has to do with that. Um, And you know, the the, all the governments in Europe are are making these kind of protests illegal or trying to, Mm -hmm. but they're not able to stop them because what they don't want is to have people talk to each other face to face. You know, that that, that could um, signal some kind of grassroots organizing. And that's, that is scary to, to, to the people um, in power. Um, that's how revolutions begin. Mm-hmm. Um, Johan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the, the appeal of these apocalypse, this apocalypse genre, the, the, these Sami movies and all that. Because I so vividly remember how, how I wanted to, to start over, how attracted I was to this, this sort of world when I was about like 12 or 13. And I, I read Stephen King's The Stand, this epic of, uh, you know, it, it's a global plague, uh, apocalyptic plague. And, and the survivors get to sort of rebuild everything from the ground up to an extent. And, and yeah. This is sort of paradoxically both the attraction of the, this we've called met the metaverse in this episode and, and the most obvious effect of the all pervading spectacle. I mean, the, the suffocation of it all, the, the need to to travel somewhere else to do the, the appeal of the rebuilding idea. So, so I, I, I was thinking about what you said about the, the empire here, you can the, the inherent structure, the re- reproductive aspects of it, that the, the way it sort of reemerges like this, this is um, Japanese weed they've been talking about on the, in the media. And I, I thought about this uh, infamous Karl Rove quote. I read it today in, in uh, Franco Berardi's book on, on heroes, this one on, on mass suicide and, and uh, mass murder and suicide. 
So, so he says something to the effect that we're an empire now and we can create our own reality no matter what and then we're history's actors and something like that. And, right, and there's a yeah. very good quote in, in Berardi's book uh, I'm just going to give you here. It's kind of short and it connects a bit of the things we've been talking about tonight. So it goes, uh, he says that abstraction today is no longer that of the map, the double, the mirror or the concept. Simulation is no longer that of, of a territory a referential being or a substance. It is the generation by models of a real without origin or reality, a hyperreal. So the territory no longer precedes the map nor survives it. Henceforth, it is the map that precedes the territory, the procession of simulacra. It is the map that engenders the territory. And if we were to receive the fable today, it would be the territory whose shreds are slowly rotting across the map. It is the real and not the map whose vestiges subsist here and there in the deserts, which are no longer those of the empire, but our own, the, the desert of the real itself. And the answer to, to, to Corey's question, I think is something we've been raising very often here. You said, John, that people don't trust their experience anymore. And I think, well, the response is we need to, to reground. We need to be both in possession of the means of, of material production, but also something you could call spiritual reproduction. And, and the contemporary metaverse robs us of, of just that. Right, right. No, absolutely. I think <clears throat> dependency on, on screen, you know, the addiction, habituation to, to screens, people's... Um, never looking up from their smartphone as they walk through their day um, is very disturbing. There's something, there's something very obviously unhealthy about this. Um, Varun? Yeah, I was just thinking, I think about 15, 20 years, I think the, the information, whether it's coming from news or entertainment, has been this sort of global calamity that the military industrial complex then resolves for the betterment of humanity at large. And that's kind of, they're starting to play it out in real life now. It's not just left to the realm of entertainment, but now that's, and that's something which is really murky, I think, because it's like Johan is saying that map exists before the territory does, which means that yeah. then, they're, then you're, you're priming mass consciousness towards a very specific trajectory. And then yeah. you see that there is a lot of obsession with these um, dystopian narrative films or series mm. where people are really craving it in a way where they don't really un seem to understand why when you ask them. Because that's not a, like, you know, it's great in anime and in a film, but that's not a life that you would be able to handle at all. Mm. And so that's, that's really this kind of absurd mixing of... Um, or in the sense like the real lived experience has become entertainment in that sense for right. the spectator. <clears throat> well, you know, just a final note on, on all, the, all the dystopian films, the, the zombie post-apocalyptic uh, stories um, are completely fanciful. You know, I mean, nobody ever answers where the clean water is coming from. Um, in fact, you know, often they are able to somehow magically take showers and uh, the plumbing works and the toilets work and um, none of this stuff would be true. People would be living um, um, 
without any of those things, and there would be there would be constant conflict about uh, clean water and and food and so forth. Uh, but but that's never touched upon. Uh, it's it's um, it which which just underscores that it is a that it is a a fantasy a a wish for um, the ability to escape to escape uh, the drudgery in which people exist in the West today. I think. Um, I mean, again, and and you know, I I started to say earlier that that. What worries me about the Ukraine NATO reporting uh, is because because Russia now is is essentially um, uh, completing this this kind of police operation denazification and so forth, and the United States can't. I don't think the leadership, the Straussian neocon think tank advisors, can tolerate the idea of losing face in this of any sort of humiliation and so the specter of a potential false flag if there haven't already been several small ones but of a massive one looms above this and it and it frightens me uh i think that i think that the russians and even putin understand this and you can almost see it in his face uh putin that is there there's a fear that he knows he's dealing with um, with crazy people in DC. What I understand less, I admit I understand less, uh, are the European leaders that have been so absolutely compliant, who just roll over and piddle themselves in the in the presence of um, uh, American diplomats and and grant every wish to the US and NATO, the really increasingly odious Jens Stoltenberg, um, who, who now seems to be, you know, trying to suggest that nuclear war might be okay. Um, but, but it's terrifying because the same way that, that fascism is being normalized, Nazism is being normalized, and Hollywood is part of this too. But, but, but you know, legacy media, all the all the TV talking heads and pundits, we are seeing because Ukraine is so infested with Nazis, is essentially a Nazi government. Uh, the 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 normalizing of of swastikas on people's you know necks tattooed on people's necks. There was some Ukrainian commander with a swastika bracelet, and you know the the Snopes or somebody said, no, 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 it wasn't a swastika. It was a, it was a design from, you know, it was a Solomon's knot. That's what it was. And then you look at it and you go, yeah, nah, that's a swastika. Uh, but, but it's sort of this constant rear guard damage control that goes on. Uh, but I don't know at what point um, the U.S.'s, the U.S. leadership will be desperate enough to, to, you know, escalate the confrontation and i don't know what eu leadership is going to do at that point and i use the word leadership you know um advisedly because they'll all be wearing fuck putin t-shirts by then apparently uh it it's you know it's <clears throat> there is a real question here but another example of living in the metaverse is that 
is that you see the, the experts that are trotted out. I mean, and Bill Gates in one sense is a perfect example. I mean, he's not trained as, as a farmer or an agricultural specialist. He has no expertise. He's not medically trained. He's not a doctor. He's just rich. That's it. And he buys airtime and he appears everywhere all the time advising people in this kind of condescending way of what they're going to in scare quotes have to do it's it's a really strange thing that anybody listens to him at all um but perhaps they don't you know uh, he's just there he's just there and visible so uh <clears throat> that's those are some of my my idle thoughts as as we wrap this mm. up i i um I think that you know the rise of far right parties in in Italy, in Sweden, in Slovakia, you know, perhaps in Hungary is a version of that. Um, worry me a lot less than uh, than the dishonesty of the liberal parties, and I think of the Democrats in the U.S. who really actually are more frightening than the Republicans, um, perhaps a lot more frightening. And the same is true um, in Europe to, to, to some degree, I think. Uh, but, you know, neither choice is particularly palatable. And uh, this is all happening in the midst of, of the stuff we have talked about a great deal, which is the stigmatizing of dissent. And even, even on the same day that you have Pfizer executives confessing to having lied, that the vaccine wasn't tested, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even rise to the description of experimental. It was just, you know, um, a guess. And 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 in you 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 will have people still demanding total vaccination, still pimping for, you know, the the original narrative for lockdowns and so forth. That's 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 the unreality in its in its most um, yeah. congealed form. I think it's most distilled form, and it's it's kind of terrifying. All right, final thoughts from everyone. Corey, Guru, Johan, Hiroyuki. Just that I, I think when I mean we can post the link for the for the European Parliament and the five people who spoke against. Um, Pfizer CEO and the representative who came, but what's very striking in that conversation, uh, in those presentations, is that three days after the pandemic was declared, Pfizer was already trialing a vaccine. That has been given as proof to the European Parliament, and that is really frightening to think about yeah. that within yeah. three days, they already had something that they were, and they presented data from 2017 as confirmation that it will work. So those are the kind of details that people really need to kind of realize to understand yeah. how long this plan has been in the making. Mm. Yeah, I, I, and and I mean, a lot of a lot of interviews, videotape clips, there was an interview with Terry Moles, is that his name, Moles? The guy who invented the the test they use for COVID, um, talking about uh, the corruption of of uh, medical institutionalized medicine and uh, the 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 fact that it can't be trusted. And interestingly, he also mentioned the climate alarmism. 
that he sees everywhere. Um, I would hope that people are, are in, and, and I think perhaps they are as a very general statement, that people are more aware of how baseless the climate hysteria is. Uh, but although I saw the New York Review of Books, the current issue has an article by Bill McKibben talking about climate refugees. How does this guy still have a career? Honest to Christ, he's the William Crystal of, of, of climate activists. I, it's just how many times can one guy be wrong? Um, Corey Hiroyuki? I just feel like the whole, as, as I've already explained to everyone, I stopped using um, the term climate change and climate, you know, pretty much absolutely a long time ago, just because when I started to realize that they were basically selling the plundering of the nature in order to save climate, right? So everything, all the solutions are basically um, stealing the theft of nature and the plundering of nature to save the climate. And you'd have to be blind not to see that, or I guess just willful blindness as we already spoke about. I just wanted to add on to what we're, what I spoke of before. Even if you read that um, book, Surveillance Valley, I mean, at the beginning, she, she writes quite extensively that even back when the inception of the internet, a lot of that was based on um, counteracting communism, right? Like a lot of the internet was developed to counteract yeah, that because that's yeah, been yeah. the biggest threat to capitalism and that still exists today. And it's not as though, so people here that we're talking about and protesting that a lot of them, maybe they don't know exactly, um, you know, what you were saying, all the different discussions, but they know they're, they're being fucked, right? That mm -hmm. they know, that, that they know they're yeah. being fucked over, but yeah. without organizing and without, um, you know, needed discussions, what's the next step of that? Like, where do you go from there, right? You know, you're being fucked, but, but where to go from there? And so again, like this, that's why I like that truck driver, um, what's his name? Dusty. Um, oh, do Dusty, you know yeah. Yeah. He, I forget he, his last name. I'm he has in a, touch with him occasionally. Yeah, right? like he has a really nice way of engaging truckers and workers alike you know, into that dialogue, into that discussion, like, wait, wait, you know, you know, look at this, he's a really nice way of engaging people and opening people's eyes up to that. And, and this is not a thing of the past, like in the Philippines, to this day, they are murdering and killing the communist rebels, right? They are doing absolutely. that to this yes, day. No, so this is, absolutely, right? Yes, no, like people are literally dying fighting and giving up their very lives in order to change you know their their system and anyway it's yeah, like no, again uh, detachment from reality well we could just i mean the discussion the topic of anti-communism is hugely important because that has driven u.s foreign policy for 80 years and and it's probably maybe next podcast we'll dig into yeah. that and provide links because it's important. I forget that that most people you talk to today, because of the erosion in education and especially the suppression of 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 you know uh, the history of the left, uh, know nothing about it. They don't know anything about radical labor. They don't know who Eugene Debs was or Big Bill Hayward or anybody. They they know nothing. Um, these names have been scrubbed from the record, and uh, that's you know, that's who we need today. 
speak Bill Hayward. All right, Hiroyuki. I, I think I, I totally agree with uh, Corey and uh, uh, what you just said about the uh, uh, the uh, practical aspect of organizing and uh, uh, somehow manifesting the uh, uh, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist uh, momentum in in a way that's uh, that makes sense for the people. Uh, yeah. which is really important. And, and the fact that all the facts are coming out of uh, Fox News <laughs> um, tells us that the, uh, uh, the momentum is being um, co-opted by the uh, uh, corporate duopoly in, in the US. Um, you know, the, the, I don't mean to interrupt you. Go sure. Ahead. No, I, you just remind me of something that I, I yeah. really wanted to say, which is the one of the other problems, and this this is to answer Corey's um, observation there, uh, has been the rise in visibility, and this is intentional. It's part of it's part of how the control of propaganda works, but the rise of of this this pro-imperialist in quotation marks left. The pro-war, pro-imperialist, anti-communist left, um, and we all know who you know. Counterpunch, you know, um, on and on. It's almost always white men, by the way, but not exclusively, but mostly, um, very kind of aggressive, combative um, white men, and they they are taking positions that they. They try to dress up as leftist, but you know, they hate uh, Putin and Russia. They de facto support the U.S. war. They uh, are, you know, anti-Assad. They are hugely critical of Maduro. Uh, they, you just—it's utterly predictable. And and this is supposed to be the far left. Uh, you know, people like Eric Dreister at Counterpoint. I was not going to name names, but who cares? Um, and this is this is very. These kinds of people are very um, are a very big problem in terms of of organizing and having discussions with people because they have on their sleeve, you know, stamped on their forehead, "I am a leftist." Um, and they're not, they're pro-imperialists. And uh, it's a very destructive thing. And this would lead into a huge discussion of, of race and, and white supremacist uh, ideology and, and on and on and on. And none of it can be separated um, from anything else. Uh, okay, very last thoughts from anybody. Well, I, I just want to um, uh, add a little bit about uh, what you just said. I, I, I like I said before, it, it really uh, uh, we've been um, flooded with this uh, notion of um, dissidents being uh, against those social institutions. And uh, we do have the same momentum coming from the uh, opposite side. And um, this, this is, this is a, if we step back and look at the larger framework, we do, I, I think, see this, um, see this as dissidents being part of the uh, uh, system change. And uh, th this is a difficult uh, situation and it's a difficult thing to explain to the people who don't understand the 
the the beginning of capitalism, beginning of imperialism, and uh, all those struggles people have put up against. So right. um, yeah. <clears throat> no, I think I think maybe we should provide some links um, just to American labor history. The the you know. Uh, coal miners and and the wobblies and and on and on and on but in in europe too in south america i mean there's a there's a very rich history of resistance but you have to look for it you have to search for it it's it's increasingly hard to find and, and that's not an accident so um okay i want to thank everybody uh uh there's so much more we could talk for so much longer about all of this. Um, unless anybody has a final uh, bon mot. I have a final one. Here. I have a okay, final one. I, I knew okay. somebody would. Okay, thank you, Cora. I just want to say you can't, if you're not an, um, against imperialism, then you can't claim to care about ecology or social justice. Right on. That's it. That's great. And it's a perfect place to end. Absolutely right on. All right, thanks guys, Johan, Varun, Hiroyuki, and Corey. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks guys, bye. Thank you. Thanks, bye. bye. bye.